You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. I'm excited about church. I am glad to be at this church. I think it's beautiful just to be in a church, but especially a church that stretches you, a church that grows. Uh, I love it. But before I go any, any, any further and before I get too far ahead of myself, uh, obviously this weekend is a very special weekend. This is not just a, an extra holiday, extra long, long weekend. This is Memorial Day. And so I want to make sure that we honor anyone in the room who uh, is a family member or a friend of someone that gave their life serving our country. If there's anyone like that in the room, would you just uh, simply raise a hand? Is there anyone like that? Yeah, would you just stand up? I feel like we're just supposed to pray. If there's anybody else that has lost someone in war serving our country, would you just... Uh, would you stand up? Yeah, there's a couple. Would y'all just stretch your hands out? Yes. And we're going to pray for them, but we're also going to pray for anyone else uh, in general um, that has lost someone. So, Father, I thank you. Thank you for these two people, Lord. For, uh, I thank you for courage and strength and, and even healing in areas that maybe uh, it hasn't completely fully manifested itself. We just release the peace of God. Uh, that surpasses understanding, God. I release it into these two, these two women, God, and I thank you, Father. I thank you for who they're standing for. I thank you for the bravery and the courage that this, that this person represented, what, what they embodied, God. I thank you that we actually have this privilege to live, in my opinion, in the greatest country in the nation, in the world, sorry, and so I thank you for that, God. I just, I release this prayer into any man, any, any woman, any mom, any father, any son, any daughter, any husband or wife that is, is without because of what this day represents, what tomorrow represents. And we thank you, Father. We, we choose to remember and bring up to memory these people and their courage and their strength, and I thank you for them. And we celebrate them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you give it up for all of the people that have served, but then just for the, the sacrifice of our troops that totally give every single day? We live in a, we live in a fantastic country. We live in a country, if you weren't here last week or the week before, whenever I preached last, I don't remember when it was, we live in a country that is experiencing a move of God. I don't know if you realize that. We don't live in a country that is going down the toilet. I'm choosing to take up the perspective that we live in a country where the move of God is happening, not in a country or the perspective that we live in a country that is going down the toilet. Whichever line you fall on, I'm going to ask you to start choosing the line on the other side of the line that God is moving in our country because he is. And I'm super excited just to be here, super excited to live here. Uh, I do believe that we live um, in the greatest nation on the earth, amen? We serve the greatest king on the earth as well. And so I'm excited about the word today. I believe that the word today is, uh, it's just, it's an easy, refreshing word. Anybody like easy and refreshing sometimes? It's kind of like an Arnold Palmer. Who likes an Arnold Palmer? Anybody? Sweet Tea and Lemonade? Yeah. It's kind of like that. I love Arnold Palmer's. They're one of my favorite things. I love Dr. Pepper, but Arnold Palmer's are probably better for me. Yeah. And so this is kind of one of those words. So that's how we're going to preface this one. Uh, the title of the message is God Used Who? God Used Who? One of my favorite things about God is that God chooses to use some of the most unlikely people to do some of the most extraordinary things on the earth. 
I love it. This is my story. This is my life story. This is why I'm standing in this place that I get to stand in. This is why I get to be a part of the church because God chooses to use people that are very, very unlikely, unfit, if you even want to call it that, to do some amazing things. Uh, last week, Braden taught such a powerful word, and he, and he gave us these six steps that, that we could use uh, to lead people or to reach the lost, to lead people in a relationship with Jesus. It was a fantastic word. If you haven't listened to it, you weren't here last week, I would encourage you, go listen to it. It's an amazing word. But we have this thought sometimes. After a message like Braden preached, like, me actually go and reach the lost, me actually go and, and, and be a part of God's movement, God's kingdom that is forcefully advancing, uh, me be a part of actually bringing some of that to pass in the life of someone that I see at Roses or I see at HEB or I see in a parking lot, we oftentimes get cold feet. Much like just even in this moment of, of ministry time when, when we actually were asked to prophesy over each other. We get these moments where it's like, all of the sudden we're reserved. All of the sudden we're like, no, no, no. I am one way on social media platforms or in the club or anything like that, but over here I'm not so much. I'm just going to shrink back a little bit. Can I tell you, you're doing a disservice to Jesus if you choose to settle on anything other than God's best for your life. It's actually dishonoring. And I know that that sounds like a hard word. I'm just telling you, and, and Jesus is giving you permission to go after and expect more. You're created to do more than what maybe you even believe. But we get into these moments where we, we start thinking, there's no possible way that I could be used or utilized in that way. So instantly we get these cold feet. Instantly we, we start shrinking back. I love that all throughout Scripture, we see these stories and we see these, these people in Scripture, these people in the stories of, of the Old Testament and the New Testament that literally fit this bill so perfectly. I believe that you could probably say that the entire Bible is filled and anyone that do, did anything significant for the kingdom of God in Scripture fit this, they're very unlikely people to be chosen. Like, honestly, if it was up to us, there wouldn't have been much done this point in the history of the church because we would, still be, we would still be disqualifying people for the things that they do. We would still be trying to figure out when they're gonna get their life together. We'd still be trying to figure out when they're gonna stop drinking so much. We'd still be trying to figure out when they're gonna stop looking at women the way that they look at women. We would be so stalled on people's imperfections that God would be just waiting like at any moment if it was up to us. Is something going to happen on the earth? Is, something, is someone going to start using the thing that I've given them? Jesus doesn't have this perspective. God doesn't have this perspective. The, the Bible is, is riddled with these people that don't fit the bill to be used. And I absolutely love this about God. I absolutely love the fact that he chooses some of the most unlikely, unqualified people. You know, oftentimes we have these preconceived ideas about what a hero should look like. Think about it for a second. Like we, if you put it in your mind and you painted the picture of a hero, you probably wouldn't paint the picture of Forrest Gump. Am I right? Like who, who picked Forrest Gump to be able to outrun the bicycles and then to outrun the truck full of the kids that grew up that were chasing him in the truck, 
and then even actually outrun gunfire until something jumped up and bit him. Like, who picked Forrest Gump to do all of those things? Nobody. I didn't. My preconceived idea of what a hero should look like or should be like is not Forrest. What about the, the, one of the best, maybe the best, maybe the most quotable movie of all time, in my opinion, Tombstone? Who expected Doc Holliday to show up under the old oak tree and fight Johnny Ringo? I'm serious. Like the dude is literally in his, in, on his deathbed. He's coughing up blood. No one expects Doc Holliday to show up as the Huckleberry and fight Johnny Ringo. No one does. I didn't. I'm like, there's no possible way. The movie's over. This is going to be the worst thing ever. Wyatt's going to die because he can't beat Johnny Ringo. Doc Holliday said so. No one expected this. This is the type of God that we serve. He was probably even on Doc Holliday's side. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen. Logic says it's impossible. That's the way that our brain works. We think about scriptures and we think about people in scripture and, and we think logically. Logic is literally the ability to think with reason. And the Bible is literally constantly filled with these, these stories and I believe that the Bible actually contradicts and actually almost comes against this ability to actually reason logically with your brain. It's like every scripture you encounter comes up against logic. And so you, 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 if, you, if you read scripture with this need to understand logically or reasonably, you're gonna be constantly confronted with something that doesn't make sense until you're so moved that you have no choice but to just believe it in faith. That's what God actually wants you to do. The Bible's full of these stories, full of these people that, that God uses, and I, and I love it. So I wanna go just name just a few, and I'm sure you could bring up and make up your own list really, really quickly, but just a few that I thought of. Obviously, I would start with Moses. Moses, we, we, know this, we, we, know these, we know these Bible characters, but Moses, literally, he's born into slavery. And we're thinking about people that are unlikely. They're the unlikely one. They're the one that's, that, that, that no one else is going to pick. So Moses, born into slavery. He's born with a hit out on his life from Pharaoh. Like he's, he's already behind, and he haven't even taken his first breath. He's already probably not fit for the bill. His mom and his sister, they make this basket, we know the story, and they put him in the, in the Nile River. Now, when I read scripture, I, some things just blow my mind. I'm like, they put him in the Nile River? Don't they know that there's Nile crocodiles and hippos in the river? Y'all ever think like this, and when you're reading scripture, like, oh, there's so many things to scripture that you're like, there's layers upon layers. I'm like, what a terrible mom. What was Moses' mom thinking? Like, she must have had great faith, obviously more faith than I'm, because I'm like, I watch Nat Geo Wild, and I ain't messing with no crocodiles. And hippos, no. They could have just seen Moses, baby Moses is floating in this basket, little human sushi roll just floating. But somehow he made it. I don't know, it was the craziest thing. Anyways. We know the story, like, Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses. Later, the Lord speaks through this burning bush to Moses. God tells Moses that he's going to do all of these things, and Moses just has these arguments over and over and over with God. God gives Moses this staff, and he's like, just throw it on the ground and see what happens. He throws this staff on the ground and it turns into a snake. 
Like God did these incredible, miraculous things for Moses, yet Moses constantly drags his feet, even to the point of saying, like, I can't even speak because I have this stuttering problem. Yet God chooses to use him anyways. I love the fact that God chooses unlikely people. And then you have David. I think of David when I think of this. You can't really talk about this subject without choosing David as, as one of the people. He's a guy that isn't even invited to the meeting when Samuel comes to, to anoint the new king. His dad doesn't even tell him about the meeting. He just gets all the other more fit for the role, the more likely person, the more likely sons to be picked for the job. He picks all of them. And God's like, no, 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 none of these. Do you have another? Nope, there's nobody else. What about, nope, don't even say his name. Don't you say David. Don't do it. He's not qualified. He is skipped over. But this is the person that God actually ends up utilizing and, and, and using to take on this giant. Now we see all these other things in David's life, but God chose to use David as well. It's like God is the first coach ever of the bench warmers. It's like this is God's personality. He's like, I'm gonna get all these misfits together, I'm gonna coach them up, and then we're gonna conquer the world. It's just what he does. I love it, and that's the God that we serve. The person that I want to land on for a little bit tonight uh, is, is incredible. And, and we don't get his name, but we're going to go to John chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1. Everybody knows this story. This is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. But it says this, after these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he had performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up to the mountain, I'm sorry, and Jesus went up on the mountain, and, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Verse 6, but this he said to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now, now there was much grass in this place. So the men sat down in number of about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them, I'm sorry, therefore they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with fragments of five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Obviously one of the most incredible stories in the Bible that we know well this is an incredible, miraculous miracle that Jesus performs. I want to point out a couple of things in this set of scriptures, but then I just kind of want to point out this thing that I want us to land on. We see that, that it, was, it was important for whatever reason for, for church to count attendance that day. 
And when I say church, you're like, they weren't having church. Jesus was speaking to a bunch of believers. It says that these people had gathered, this multitude had gathered because they had seen what Jesus had done with the sick people, and they believed. So they, they have this, this service basically on the side of this mountain, and there's 5,000 men that are numbered. Now the issue with this church service is they have a problem. I don't know if y'all are like me, but much like this church, there was no food, and when there's no food, there's issues. There's problems because food kind of, everything revolves around food. Football, the masters, movies, got to have popcorn. But there was no food in this situation. So Jesus sees that there's a problem. And what I love about Jesus is he's, he's very, very sly. He says this in verse 6. It says, Jesus knew what he would do about this problem before he even asked. Jesus has this plan before he even asks. The answer to this problem came from a really unlikely source. So the disciples like Jesus said to these 5,000 men, and they're all getting hungry, we need to feed them. Jesus said, okay, we'll figure out how you're gonna feed them. All the while knowing what he's gonna do, but they're like, Jesus, the issue is that there's 5,000 men. Yeah. It's not even that they're hungry, it's that there's 5,000 of them. And Jesus is like, figure out how you're gonna feed them all the while in his head knowing what he was going to do anyways. I love this about Jesus. And Jesus says, I have a plan. In the midst of the problem, there was a solution. And I want to present this to you. In the midst of every problem, there's an answer. If there is a problem at your workplace and you carry Jesus on the inside of you, there's a solution already. If there's a problem in your family, when people aren't talking or there's gossip happening and Jesus lives inside of you, there's already a solution. When you're walking the hallways of work and you hear the things that are going on or you're on location and you hear the jokes that are being said and there's an issue, you have the answer, it's Jesus that's already on the inside of you. Every problem has the solution in it, especially when we're inserted into the problem. The problem shouldn't get worse when I get involved. crickets. I love it. It's okay. How often, I ask myself, does the problem get worse when I interject myself into it? How much do I add or how much do I take away? Am I a peacekeeper or I'm a peacemaker? Jesus lives on the inside of me, then I should be a peacemaker. I should figure out a way to inter, inter, introduce Jesus into the situation and make things change. In the midst of the problem, there was a solution. Verse 9, it says, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. This word lad in the Greek means a child or a boy. Now, I want you to notice this. The disciples count 5,000 men, but there's a lad. And the lad has the solution to the issue. The moment that the, the, the boy, the moment that the, the lad offers up his lunch, solution comes. He wasn't even counted in the number of people that needed to be fed. How often are we skipped over, or let me rephrase that, how often do we skip over ourselves as the solution to a problem because we aren't smart enough? How often are we instantly looked over, or how often do we look over ourselves or look over the people around us because they aren't smart enough, they're not deep enough, they're not on a on the level that we want them to be on. They don't communicate the way that we want them to communicate. We don't communicate the way that we think we should be able to communicate. We don't 
carry ourselves the way that we think a hero or we think a person that's fit for the job should carry themselves. These are the things that we fight every single day. So Jesus, all the while, it says this in verse six, he knew what he was going to do. I propose to you tonight that even in your situation, Jesus knows what he's going to do. Jesus puts you in your, in your situation, or you're in your situation, whether it, it just happened or you made a bunch of bad decisions. Sometimes it's not always Satan. Yeah. Sometimes it's just us. But just because we made some decisions didn't mean that all of a sudden because of the decisions we made that Jesus left us high and dry. Jesus sees this child, he sees this situation, he already knew what he was going to do. Now, if I read the scripture and it says that he asked them knowing what he was going to do and he uses this child's lunch, that means that Jesus already knew that he was going to use the child's lunch. So Jesus counted the person that everyone else counted out. Jesus counts on you when everyone else counts you out. They say my family is in disarray or I am the, the youngest or I'm the oldest or I've lived a life that everyone in my family knows that I lived, therefore I am unfit to be utilized to lead my family to Jesus. But Jesus is the only one that didn't count you out of your family. Jesus is the only one that didn't forget the thing that's on the inside of you that could be utilized for your family. I stand here telling you the story because I'm proof of this. I'm the oldest of three in a family that never, I'm, they did the best that they could. We all do the best that we can. It is what it is. But it, like we weren't, we didn't go to church, we weren't raised in church, none of those things. And I get saved at 21 and, and it's, it's a really interesting dynamic because pre-Jesus, Cody was not good, Cody. He did things, they were ugly. And they caused stuff. And all of a sudden, I've got this newness on the inside of me, but then I have this over here too. And one by one, I remember it was at, uh, used to be the Hilton downtown in the ballroom. There was a Sunday that I went, I had the pastor agree with me, everything was turned upside down in my family. It was, it was insane. And we prayed on this one day. I had faith that God would restore everything. I was young in the Lord, like, couple months, three months, four months, something like that. But I heard that he was a, a restorer of all things. I had heard that he could use people. I had heard that God was in the business of reconciling things. And so I went to the pastor and I just was like, would you agree with me? I have faith for this. Would you pray with me? And, and literally by the end of the day, let me rephrase that. This was at noon. By 2.30, my whole family, immediate family, was back under one roof. Two members of my immediate family, one had not been home or been spoken to in over a month and was called that day and said, I feel like it's time for you to come home. Like, I'm telling you this because sometimes we get in these situations where it's like, my family knows my history too much, I can't be utilized for them. But when you offer the thing that Jesus has given you and submit it to Jesus, he says, now I can come upon that and we can do some work together. Jesus is in the business of using people that are very unlikely to be chosen by anybody else. I love that about him. This boy wasn't even considered by the disciples, but Jesus knew all of the long what he was going to do through this child. It's interesting how 
the mindsets, these preconceived ideas that we have about the solution not working. Because even when this child's lunch is presented to the disciples, they literally say, but what are these among so many? In other words, the solution that is being presented in this moment, it doesn't even come close to scratching the surface of meeting the need, so why is it even being presented? This is where we start talking ourselves out of being used by God. We start thinking, what I have to offer in comparison to the issue doesn't even scratch the surface. I shared this a few weeks ago, and I believe it may have even been last week during ministry time. But I was reminded of this story when, when my, while my wife was carrying our first child. And, and, and I don't know if you remember this, and I'll just repeat it for those that weren't here, but, but uh, the Lord started talking to me about this just the other day as I was driving on the loop. And he was talking to me about what, how Stacy, what her role was when we were pregnant. She had never been a mom. She had never been in this position before. But what Stacy didn't do was try to figure out how she was going to carry the baby, but also carry and develop the grace to be a mom to the baby once the, mom was, once the baby was born. She didn't carry the child and also try to figure out how to start working her way up to be anointed enough to be a mom to the child. She just carried and submitted the thing that she was, birth, or was, was, was inside of her to the place that it was born, and then Jesus delivered the grace and Jesus delivered the anointing for her to be a fantastic mom, and she is. I'm not saying that because she's on the front row looking at me. She really is. <laughs> this is how we have to live in relation to Jesus in these moments when we don't feel like what we have to bring is big enough to even scratch the surface to meet the need that is around us. My job is to submit to Jesus and carry the thing that he's put on the inside of me. That is my faith. That is my ability to trust God in the situation. If he's in me, then he wants to come out of me so that he can get on you. But I have to be submitted enough to say, Jesus, you can work through me so that the people around me are affected for your reasoning. You think about the rich young ruler. It's not that Jesus forces his way to be used in every single person's life. He, 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 he wants you to say yes to him. And the moment that your mouth and the moment that your heart says yes, that's when things start happening around you. That's what's, when things start changing in the lives of the people around you. I don't know if you figured this out yet, but this isn't all for you. True. Part of it is, but actually the kingdom is about people. It's about you taking what you hear in these walls. This is why, G, this is why Braden last week was, was talking about uh, asking the question, how many, have you led, how many of you have led someone to Jesus this week? Because what happens in this, in this room is actually supposed to take, take place and actually manifest fully outside of these walls. The kingdom is about other people. And Jesus is in the business of choosing people that don't fit the bill. He constantly says over your life, I know what I'm going to do. He constantly says over your life, I know what I'm going to do. Yeah, but he's like, no, no, no. I know what I'm going to do. And I'm waiting for you to say yes. I know what I'm going to do. Yeah, but Jesus, the problem is, no, no, no. I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do. God uses the most unlikely people to do the most extraordinary things in the kingdom. 
And I love him for that. It's interesting to me that the people that chose to believe that Jesus could actually be the Messiah were a bunch of people that no one else would have even picked. It's like they saw something in Jesus, probably themselves. Like, this guy doesn't fit the bill of what everyone's looking for in a king, and I like it. So I'm going to choose to go with this guy. This guy that comes in riding on a donkey as a king. What's that all about? Doesn't seem to fit, but I like it. God even demonstrates this in the way that he chose Jesus. He didn't fit the the narrative or fit what the people wanted to be this king to overthrow the Roman Empire or the Roman government at the time. Jesus comes in such a way that is so lowly and so humble that everyone is like, no, 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 this can't be the Messiah. In fact, he's so offensive in his approach to saying that he is God and the Son of God that he, he even becomes even more unlikely to be picked by the people. But there's a group of people that know what it's like in the disciples. And there's a group of people like Zacchaeus that see and that are, that are chosen and that are, that, are, that are put in place that don't fit anyone else's standard to be used. Paul, no hero before Jesus. Peter has nothing in him without Jesus. You have nothing in you without Jesus. I don't have anything to offer you without Jesus. God picks the most unlikely people to do the most extraordinary things. And he wants to add you to the list. He wants to add you to the list. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.